Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Oh, brother, it's good to have you back on another week uh, after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, hopefully all of our listeners enjoyed a, a good weekend uh, with family and with a real turkey <laughs> and, uh, and, and fellowship. Yeah, this was the most expensive turkey I've ever had. So it's a good thing that we saved like 14 cents on the July 4th meal or whatever it was. <laughs> 14 cents. <laughs> But anyway, um, well, I think we got a really interesting topic today, and uh, I, I've been posting a lot of tweets by Puritans and on holiness, and uh, part part of that is because I'm I'm working on a book on holiness, and so I'm just uh, steeped in it every day, and uh, it's just really good stuff. But it's caused a lot of yeah, um, uh, it's it's riled up a lot of people uh, when you start talking about. Um, sin and depression and medication, and uh, especially yeah, in the Western right, right. context. And so I thought it'd be good if we just spend a podcast and talk about um, biblical counseling will come in, obviously, but talk about depression and what the Bible has to say about it. Because I, yeah. I think, brother, a lot of Westerners just, you know, at least we live in such a way where um, it, God can meet our needs when we pray. He can um, help us in our spiritual life. But if we uh, need to battle through depression or uh, struggling with anything like that, then we need to go to the world. Um, when we get to those things, God isn't really helpful anymore. Has that been your experience? Have you noticed that kind of trend? Yeah, that's. Uh, we live in a heavily psychologized culture, and we um, the, the culture has been so uh, effective in, in influencing the church as well to the point that we think we need secular counseling in order to heal what are really spiritual issues. And I think the topic that we're going to be talking about today, depression, is is one of those those big ones. Because quite frankly, when it comes to biblical counseling, that's one of the biggest reasons or the most common reasons why people come in for counseling is because they're suffering through depression. But even within Christian circles and even within conservative Christian circles, I would say, there is this misconception um, that we somehow need the help of the psychology world or the psychiatric world in order to heal what is really spiritual issues. And, and hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. Uh, I'm not saying that the Bible is going to heal us if we have actual uh, physical issues, though God can certainly do that in his providence and sovereignty. We still go to doctors with physical illnesses and whatnot, um, but the, the question is, uh, where does depression fall? Is that a physical illness or is that a spiritual illness which would fall under the jurisdiction of God's word? And I would argue that um, in every time that I've seen it, it's the latter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, some of the tension that comes, in fact, actually, I think all of the tension comes, it really comes from a lack of understanding um, of who, who we are made in God's image and where the solutions to these things come from. Um, and, and then, of course, there are a lot of little rabbit trails that contribute to that. Things like yeah. it, we live in a medicated society. And let's just be honest, 
Um, yeah. Many of us, and I've been guilty of it myself too, and, and you probably have in the past, um, sometimes we just rather take the easy route instead of dealing with whatever the issue is. Uh, in, in this case, it's medication, right? Um, it's just far easier uh, at times for people to take medication than it is to deal with whatever the issues are that's causing the problem. And we'll talk a little bit about that because um, medication for, I mean, we're, and we're not even really talking about major psychotropic medications, but medication just treats the symptoms. And this isn't even disputable, even in the secular realm, right? That That's what it is. Um, when you go to counseling, it's mostly uh, behavioral modification. Uh, when you take medications for things like depression, it, they're just treating symptoms. They're not designed to treat the issue. Um, and and even, even though the secular world knows and understands that, I hear a lot of Christians push back uh, on that, right? And so, they're not even agreeing with what the secular world understands. Um, but then I, I think to guys who who in history have dealt with uh, melancholy temperaments. I mean, you think of Charles Spurgeon. I mean, I, mm-hmm. he, he's the one that I think of most often. And yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I can't even recount how many sermons he um, preached around uh, sorrow and melancholiness and, um, it, you know, just sickness of the soul. I mean, it's, uh, there are many, many sermons. And it's interesting because, his view was that even in the midst of deep sorrow, Scripture was sufficient to bring him out of that. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a view we have today. No, I, I agree with you. And, and we can go throughout the Scriptures, and there's a number of examples that I'll, I'll touch on at some point uh, during this hour. But there are a number of scriptural examples where you see men of God going through the same kind of melancholy, uh, going through what we would describe as symptoms of depression. And their consolation always comes back to God and God's word, his character, and all that. And so, if it was good enough for them, it certainly um, is good enough for us. And uh, it's the highly psychologized culture. And to your point, when you said uh, people often want to take the easy way out, um, we often want to think that the issue is outside of us and that we're not actually contributing to our own issue. And, and that's one of the, the, the greatest uh, tragedies of psychology and the effect that it's had um, upon the Christian world is that what should be labeled as sin is instead given a illness category, a mental illness category that, um, that, that essentially teaches us that the issue is outside of us and it's not something that we're contributing um, to ourselves. And so, we, there, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of reasons why someone may be feeling depression, um, but uh, the scriptures never tell us to blame factors outside of us. It always tells us to examine the heart and look inside of us. Yeah. Well, let, let's go to some of the the, the rebuttal. Well, uh, but brother, there are things like serotonin in, in our brain. And if that's low, then you, it causes your depression and you need medication. Um, or yeah. what about chemical imbalances? I mean, those are always the first things that come up. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you say concerning those things? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great point. And, and this goes back to like the 1950s. And, and this is where it's helpful to understand what science is and what it is not. Um, Science uh, has provided some incredible discoveries. And in scientific observation, they have looked at the brain of of people who are feeling depressed and those who are feeling normal. And they found that those who are depressed had low levels of serotonin. And so then they thought, okay, well, there it is. There's there's the solution. We just need to increase their serotonin levels and the depression goes away. 
Well, anyone who's skilled in logical fallacies understands that correlation is not causation. You know, so what we see with serotonin, that that's a correlation to someone who's feeling depressed. That's not necessarily the that the root cause of it. But in the 1950s, that led to a series of medications that um, sought in various ways to to boost serotonin levels. And and there's there's a, a class of neurotransmitters, and it's serotonin. Um, norepinephrine, as well as dopamine, uh, those three mm-hmm. together, there have been, uh, without going to all the technical details, there have been a series of medications that have sought to, to boost the levels of one or more uh, of those three neuro- neurotransmitters with the idea that if you boost those, you're going to take away the, 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 the issues of depression. Um, the problem is now, if you just did a simple YouTube search, just just go to YouTube and just type in Theory of chemical imbalance. Um, I did that the other day because I wanted, I'm teaching through biblical counseling now, and I wanted to be able to explain the theory of chemical imbalance according to the way the world explains it. So I decided to look up some some videos, and I was surprised to find out that even in the secular world, um, it, it has been largely debunked, this whole theory of chemical imbalance. So the the idea that medications can can change these chemicals, well, first of all, we don't have the proof that the chemicals are the cause uh, rather than just correlation. And, and second of all, the history of these uh, these medications have proven to be no more effective than a placebo. So taking saline or a sugar pill, um, that's always part of these double-blind tests where you want to see just how effective it is. And and, and uh, these um, the, the, uh, the, the placebos um, typically have a certain degree of effectiveness, right? So, I mean, if someone believes they're taking something that's going to help them, they actually do feel better um, afterwards. And if you have a medication that's supposed to treat something, but it's no better than placebo, then basically it's 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 not helping. So, that that has been the history going back to the 1950s into the 60s. And, and there were a certain um, psychologists or psychiatrists that, that pushed this idea of, of chemical imbalance. And, and now there are some who still hold to it and they say, well, it's actually now five or six different chemicals that they think are involved in this. And you have to understand that there is a worldview that's underneath all of this. And, and the worldview is this, that um, without them saying it, they're putting man in the position of God. And, and they're saying that we can solve all of our problems just with mm-hmm. science and chemicals and medicine rather than addressing what is actually the cause of the depression itself. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think it's interesting because a lot of people would, when you explain that, um, I, you know, either they'll accept it or reject it. If they already have their mind made up, they'll reject it. And oftentimes then the rebuttal would be, well, you, you know, how do you know? Did you ever work in the field? How many patients have you had? As right. though, I, I mean, it's really a mute argument because uh, the people who go there uh, themselves have never had patients, have never worked in the field. Right. Um, n- not that if you work in the field, you, you're an absolute authority on the measure, uh, on on the issue. And a, a good illustration of that being true is, you know, the guy who, and I can't remember his name now, that was largely uh, um, responsible for the DSM-4, right, um, is has now come out and said that basically you shouldn't trust the DSM-5 because it's been politicized and bought. Now, this is a secular, uh, you know, psychologist or uh, psych, well, is he a psychologist or uh, I can't remember now, but anyway, he was responsible for the DSM for putting that together, editing and such. Now he's come out as a secular person. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's not a believer um, saying, well, you can't trust the DSM five because it's uh, largely impacted by political sway. So, yeah. You know, here's someone in the field who's not a believer who is saying, well, now you just can't trust 
these medical diagnostics because they're corrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, so to point to the field as though it's absolutely authoritative is not a great argument. But then I would say, um, it, it, you know, I, I actually did work in the field. Um, I wasn't a psychiatrist, uh, but I did work in a psychiatric hospital. Uh, I worked as a psychiatric technician, and that's important because what a psychiatric technician does um, is, in fact, a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, you make observations. Those observations go into your permanent medical record. And many times, the psychiatrist would come, uh, w- would see my patients for five minutes. Th- that's it. Five minutes. I'm all the contact they had. Um, they would see them for five minutes after having read my notes, uh, just maybe confirm um, what I've put in the notes or otherwise, and then uh, they would prescribe medication or adjust medication or whatever. So really, in all, for all intents and purposes, the psychiatric technician is the one that was the most hands-on with the patient. Um, and so you, you obviously get training for that. And I can tell you, um, so I worked in in an acute unit in the hospital. So this was a major hospital. They had an entire ward. Uh, I worked in the acute unit. And let me just tell you, I can't personally remember out of hundreds of patients I've had anyone who I believed got better because of medication. In fact, that wasn't ever really the goal. The goal always was to treat symptoms. Uh, it wasn't even arguable, arguable right? Um, it's we don't really know what causes this, but if they're what we call manic depression, depressive, um, then we can give them this medication, and all of a sudden they're they're no longer manic. Uh, well, of course they're not manic because we've just turned them into a zombie, um, yeah. and and now they can't function. And this is important: the medication causes them to be dysfunctional in other areas. Mm-hmm. So this isn't even a treatment. Right. Um, you're just exchanging what the world would call dysfunction in one area for a more acceptable area of dysfunction. But that's not God's plan for us. It's not God's design for us. Um, and the great majority of patients that I had. Right. And, and I, we don't like to go to the experiential stuff too much, but it just supports what scriptures already told us is true. A great deal of the problems within the people that I saw, really, it came from sin issues. Yeah. Their depression was born from sinful choices that they made, um, that they were unrepentant for, that they enjoyed in the moments um, and experiencing the consequences. And rather than being repentant, right, we're seeking for some way out of the consequences. Um, so, it, you know, I do not in any way believe in giving medication for depression. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an MD. I can't tell you to stop taking your medication legally. I can't do all those things. Um, but I can tell you, having worked in the field, I've never seen them do anyone good. Um, and, and they're not designed for that. They're just designed to treat symptoms. So why would you want to take something like that, um, knowing that it's not designed to help you and that it's going to hinder you in, in, in other areas? I mean, you've, if you look at some of the psychotropic medications, Haldol, for instance, and w- without getting into a lot of um, technicalities of that, you, you can look up the side effects and some of the really nasty permanent side effects from taking those things. And it is far worse um, than the benefits because the benefits are still relative are unknown. Right. Um, and this might be horrifying for people to know, but maybe it would be good. Um, you know, when I got done with a patient 
And the psychiatrist came in, spent their five to 10 minutes, and it rarely ever was longer than that. Um, they would basically come back. Sometimes they would uh, talk to me or whoever the, you know, the other technician was, ask a few questions. And basically, the conversations would often go like this. Well, we've tried um, you know, 30 milligrams of that and it hasn't worked. So let's try 45 milligrams. If that doesn't work, we'll bump them up to 55 milligrams. If that doesn't work, we'll try one of these other regiments. I, I, you're literally being experimented on. Th- those are the normal conversations you have in the hospital. Um, and so to put so much faith in really what I think people are largely ignorant of the field and what happens is kind of terrifying. Um, thoughts on that comments on that, and then we'll kind of yeah, move I, to the more important yeah, I, stuff. I, I think, I think that's um, that, that, that experience is really um, helpful to, to hear that. And I know even my wife in her past, uh, she has gone through therapy and uh, she will testify that the therapy that she was put through uh, made her a lot worse, didn't make her better, didn't really address uh, the issues. And then I think the problem here, and, and by the way, when we talk about this, there is both, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about both the fields of psychiatry as well as psychology. And the difference between the two is important mm-hmm. because psychiatry is a medical field. Um, they're dealing with uh, real medicine um, and, and, uh, and and how it affects the the brain, whereas psychology is is completely subjective. Um, there There is nothing scientific involved. And, and let me give an example. When I taught this class, um, I talked about depression, but I also, someone asked me about ADHD. Um, ADHD is a common diagnosis today with, with kids. And what I said back is that, you know what, there is actually no scientific test that will tell you whether you have ADHD. It is completely subjective where the doctor just watches your kid, may run him through some tests and based upon the way he answers it, he'll just say, okay, he has ADHD. But otherwise, it's completely subjective. And, you know, when I made that statement that there is no actual test for either depression or ADHD, no actual scientific test, um, there was looks, there, there was incredulous looks back at me because we have been so psychologized to think that these are fact, that these are scientific yeah. fact. And my response back is like, look, uh, I'm not a medical expert, but and, and you don't have to take my word for it, but look it up, uh, look it up. And, and indeed, uh, one of the people uh, in, in our church, he, he looked it up, he looked it up on the Mayo Clinic. And, uh, and he saw, he looked up ADHD because um, he had children that had gone through that. And, and he saw in ADHD, there's actually no known um, cause for, for what causes it. And so that's the problem with a lot of these mental conditions is that the cause is actually not known. People are just guessing at it and they've yeah. created all these medications. And just as you said, they're experimenting and, and really whether it's successful or not, it's not based upon any kind of scientific test. It's based upon, okay, well, how do you feel now? Do you feel better? Do you yeah. feel worse? Should we do this? Should we do that? I had a young, one young man. Uh, come in because he had been depressed for a year, and uh, he, he was a, he was not a believer. Um, his wife, uh, his not his wife, his mother is the one that uh, highly encouraged him to come to me. His mother is a believer, wanted him to come talk to me. So I, I sat down and I spoke to him, and uh, it turns out that his depression started when he came to the conclusion that there is no God. There's no God, and then he became depressed. And so I, well, that, that's pretty clear. There, there's a clear connection there. And uh, since then, he has gone to see um, a psychiatrist and psychologist both. And he has been uh, he's been on up to four different medications, and I I was able to say, well, uh, based on the fact that you're here after a year, um, I think I can safely conclude that those medications haven't worked, have they? And uh, he said, no. He said, but I haven't been consistent enough on them, and that's probably the reason why. So even then, there was a faith in these medications, but mm-hmm. though he's been on four different medications, yeah, yeah. he has not seen the the, the positive um, impact from that. And and again, it just comes down to the fact that. When you're dealing with these issues, 
nobody knows the root cause of it. So they're just they're, they're just guessing. And when they don't know the root cause of it, they're basically just throwing medication at you. And they, again, this is born from this idea that man's problems can be solved by medication, um, by, by human wisdom, rather than the things of God. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I, I want to kind of move the conversation into it, really what we want to talk about today is the fact that Scripture is sufficient to deal with these things. I think we've made a good case in that um, in, in the psych- psychiatric field, it's largely just guesswork. In the sociology field, also, it's largely just guesswork. That's not even a science. Um, and, and by the way, as we get into some scripture, I mean, just consider this. If you're in, oh, and when we talk about that field, think of counseling, right? You're going to your counselor. Um, you have to have a special license to be able to prescribe medication, and counselors generally don't have that, right? And, and most of the people, that will uh, that we're going to be talking to um, probably aren't going to psychiatrists. They're going to counselors, right, of some sort or another. Yeah. Yeah. And and so just think about this: you're going to a counselor who, in 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 most cases, are godless. They don't believe in God. They don't believe. Um, they don't understand humanity the way we do. And you're listening to their opinion. And and I do say opinion because, and we've mentioned this before. There are over 450. Um, counseling methodologies. And so, you really are just going to that individual's opinion. This is why if you go to 10 different counselors, yeah. uh, you're going to likely get 10 different perspectives. Right. right. Well, when you go to it, when, when truly you're going to biblical counseling, you're getting one perspective and that's God's perspective. So, if you're going to trust in someone's perspective doesn't it make sense to go to the one who created you, the, the one who made man, the one who made the mind, the will, the emotions? Um, it, it just, I, I think that sometimes people just don't consider that. And so maybe that would be helpful. But I just want to remind us Second uh, Timothy 3, um, 3, 16, 17, we read a lot, right? All scriptures inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. I mean, you want to understand this is, training your mind, renewing your mind, washing your mind. Um, it goes on to say this, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Now, I, in terms of talking about depression, and one of the characteristics of depression is that people stop functioning properly. Yeah. And yet, the Word of God says that it's able to make us fully capable, equipped for every good word, uh, every good work. Um, and, and so, if that's true, or rather, since that's true of Scripture, then Scripture must be able to speak to those things in our lives um, that keep us from being fully capable, right? Outside of, you know, genuine medical things. You break your leg, you need a cast, all right? We're not talking about those kind of things. You get a headache, take an aspirin. Um, but, if we believe what the word of God says all throughout, and this isn't, this is, there are many scriptures, right? That speak yeah. to it. I mean, read the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are full of depression and anxiety and, yeah. and time and time again, you see the solution is that they turn to God, yeah. right? Over and over and over. You see David who is, I mean, David in our modern society would have been a basket case and on all kinds of medications. Um, and yet he survived, and not only did he survive, but he thrived every time he took his circumstances, 
right before God and turned them over to God and he pleaded with God, you see that that um, wholeness, that healing that he needed uh, came. And I think that's a promise of scripture. Absolutely. And in fact, right in front of me, I've got Psalm 32, which is a Psalm of David. It's one of his Psalms of confession, but just listen to what he wrote. Um, He writes in verse one, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, so far, those first two verses, very simple. He's saying how blessed are are those who are forgiven by God. But look at, he, he now speaks experientially from verses three and four. Again, this Psalm 32, verse three and four. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I mean, that's some very descriptive language for the difficulty that he went through. And to your point, if David lived today and someone, a professional trained counselor or therapist in the secular methods heard this, heard these two verses, that, that David talked about how my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, day and night. Um, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Here is the problem with secular counseling, because we can look at Psalm 32, and we know without a question, this was as a result of David's sin. We know that, no question. Yep. This was a result of David's sin. Um, but if he were to go to a secular counselor, guess what? The secular counselor has zero ability to make this diagnosis, zero. And what do I mean by zero? Because they don't believe the scriptures. They don't go to the scriptures. They don't counsel about sin. They don't counsel about repentance. They, they don't have an acknowledgement of God. And by the way, before I forget, there's a, there was a, a book written by a guy named Richard Gans, and the book is named Psychobabble. Um, it was printed, it was published by um, Crossway. Though it last time I saw it was out of print. If you get a chance to look at it, do so. Uh, Richard Gans came out of this field. Um, he 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 was a psychiatrist. He administered medication, and he came out of it, and then ended up becoming a pastor and a biblical counselor. And he talks about a lot of what we're talking about. Just just the really the the futility of the methods being used. But at the, but to this point, as we look at this, clearly David has a sin issue, and I would argue that when you look through Scripture, a lot of what uh, if we if we sin and we don't repent and we're truly in God's family, um, God's going to take us through some dark times, and and mm-hmm. so that that mm-hmm. is a very clear response to mm-hmm. to our sin that that we're ignoring it, we're not repenting from it. But secular counselors have zero ability, mm-hmm. and we see here the answer here was to confess it and to be forgiven of it and and to recognize God's grace in providing that forgiveness. Mm. That's a really good point. I mean, you're talking about having a theology of suffering, Um, and and we don't, right? I mean, as a whole, in the Western world, we don't like to suffer. Uh, The health, wealth, prosperity gospel has just so meshed with um, the belief of culture and has gotten into the church in such a way that we believe any and all suffering or affliction is basically not from God. Um, if I don't have, uh, it, you know, a happy life day to day, every moment, then uh, something's not right. God's not wanting me to go through this. But you don't see that you, you just brought to the point, right? A lot of times it's the result of our own sin. Sometimes it's not even that, right? right? right. I mean, you look at the suffering of Christ. 
Yeah. I mean, look at look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, mm-hmm. sorrow upon sorrow, and surely it wasn't connected to sin, and right. yet that was in God's good design and plan. So I, I think we need a renewed, healthy understanding of suffering in, in the Christian life. Um, we're going to suffer, and and it's all from God. It's all in God's plan for our life. All suffering is because He's sovereign, and some of it is surely uh, chastisement because he loves us and he disciplines those whom he loves. Some of it's result of sin. Some of it is just for our own health and growth. And we struggle to, to see those things. And, and yet we see them all throughout scripture and they're pretty clear. Uh, yeah. Think of the book of Job. You know, if you want to see a good picture that we seldom get um, and, and I know guys in our church, are, they know the book of Job because I talk about it all the time. Um, but it gives us this high view behind the scenes of what God is doing, what Satan's doing, what, what Satan can and can't do in that instance. And Job, I, just imagine if Job were to walk into a counseling room today, yeah, yeah. right? Um, in fact, what's very scary is even if God, even if Job were to walk into a lot of quote unquote Christian counselors' office, the counsel would be against God Himself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, Job d- d- kind of did do that, right? I mean, he, That's he true. had his friends surrounding him, and and this is where we have to be careful. Uh, so here's the. Here's the warning with regards to biblical counseling. It's not that um, there, there's a point where it's no longer useful. That's not it at all. It's always useful. Um, but the biblical counselor must recognize that he himself, he or she herself who's doing the counseling, we're not God. We don't know the mind of God and how God is working through that person's lives. And that was the problem with Job's counselors. They all assumed to, to know what Job's issues mm-hmm. were. Now, if you read what Job's friends said, a lot of what they said, there's actually good theology there. You you read that and it's like, well, yeah, that's that's good theology. So what was the problem? The problem is that they were misapplying it. They, they were taking mm-hmm. theology yeah. and they were applying it towards Job when it actually did not apply. And in Job's case, why was he afflicted? He was afflicted because he was the most righteous man in the world. So in his case, it was the exact opposite of sin. It's because he was the most righteous and he wanted, and God said, you know, basically said, I'm going to glorify my name by showing to you, Satan, that Job will not curse my name, no matter what afflictions you bring upon him. I mean, you just blew the minds of like half of our audience. <laughs> Job was afflicted because he was the most righteous man alive. And, and I think this is, this is the, I mean, this, what we're talking about right now is the very reason why um, it, when you go to counseling, you need to go to someone who has a real fear of God. Yeah. No. A, a real fear of God. They need to know their Bible. They need to have a fear of God. Um, lest we find ourselves, um, taking counsel for someone who is actually giving us a counsel against the will of God, um, like Job's friends. And did, was that their intention that we have no reason to believe that? Um, and just as you said, they said a lot of good, righteous things, but misapplied, um, meant their counsel was against God. And of course, God himself addresses that right in Job. And I mean, and we think it could be easy and, and tempting maybe to read the book of Job and think that there was just like a day or two, right? Um, and, and that certainly is not the case if, you're, if you right. really look at that. This is a prolonged period. We don't know exactly how long, uh, but it was long enough, right? I mean, you think of um, w- when all of this started happening in his life, just to give some idea, 
Um, you had vandals that destroyed all of the flocks in one area and they left one servant. And so they, it's not like he could get on a, a, on a cart, right. And come. And so he had to travel back to Job and bring that news. Right. And then another one came and then another one came and then the news from his children. And so you've got some extended period of time here where just look at Job on the outside. I, I mean, he shaved his head with a pot shard. Um, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, wailing, hoping that he would die. It, so much so that his it was so bad that his wife comes out and says, just curse God and die. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I just it, it would be interesting to see what a secular counselor would suggest for mm-hmm. someone who acted like Job. And yet in God's grace to us, we get to see behind the scenes and all of this, right, um, from God's perspective, was to show Satan that there was a righteous man who wouldn't yeah. curse him. Right. And of course, in the end, uh, he blesses Job. But you can't look at Job and uh, and tell me that it wasn't real despair, that it wasn't real hopelessness. Some of maybe some of you listening have lost a child. Um, or, you know, you, you, you've lost a pregnancy and you can relate and understand to the pain Job must have been feeling. Um, and yet it was God's good design and God kept Job in the midst of that. And, and so this is why we, we say you need to go to a biblical counselor. Despair is real. Sorrow is real. Depression is real. But scripture speaks to that. And there are multiple aspects. So, you know, there's lots of reasons for why people may be depressed, and we'll touch on some of those. But I think let's spend some time and talk about having a good theology of suffering because look at some of the men that we would aspire to imitate as they imitated Christ, the Spurgeons, the, I mean, my goodness, the Puritans. Yeah. If you read their doctrine of suffering, um, I mean, it just, it, it brings me to repentance just reading uh, a lot of their stuff. I, I think uh, it was, let's see, Brooks maybe, um, who talks about discouragement and anxiety and grief. And, and he says, and in fact, let me just read a small quote. He says, these things are distinguished between and come by things like covetousness, by false expectations, by man-pleasing, by self-righteousness, by doctrinal distortion, or by simple lack of self-discipline. I mean, so he's speaking of depression, right? And in that, he's just giving you a list of the various places it could come from. But the moment someone who is depressed, and we see this on Twitter, right? And you connect the possibility of sin being linked to that. Oh, people go ballistic, right? Yeah. I mean, they explode. Yeah. And and it's always yeah. a very self-centered response. Well, I'm not sinful just because I was depressed. Well, I, I don't know about that. Maybe you were. Um, and, and I yeah. think the one who right. Right. has the heart to be like Christ the response should be, well, maybe I am sinning because I am a sinner. Where are those things, right? Yeah, and, and even, again, if we go back to that example of Job, you know, he continually wants his day in court before God. He recognizes he's not righteous the way God is righteous. He knows that no one can stand before God, but he wants his day in court because he knows that he did nothing to deserve what came his way. And when God finally responds back, and by the way, this is part of biblical counseling, when God finally responds back, guess what? He never addresses Job's 
desire to, to hear why. Instead, God appeals to him as the creator saying, where were you when I did these things? Hmm. And, and Job's response to that was, I repent in ashes and dust. And so Job, even though being the most righteous man in the world, and though he did not curse God and uh, simply just wanted his day in court, he realizes after hearing of God, being reminded, I should say, of God's uh, create his, his role as the creator and, and his sovereign power over all the earth and the heavens and the universe, and basically essentially telling Job that I can do what I, I want, want and, and you don't have to understand it. Um, that is what he ended up repenting of, recognizing that, you know what? you are God and you can do whatever you want. And sometimes we, you know, in Job's case, again, it wasn't because of a specific sin um, in his case. It was actually because he was the most righteous man in the world. And then what I, I have another example, I think of, um, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet for close to 50 years, didn't see a single person come to repentance. If you are called uh, to, to be a prophet and to call the people of Israel to repent of their sins, and you are being called to do it for 50, for close to 50 years, and you see no one repent, you can see how depressing that would be. And in the book of Lamentations, just read, I'm not going to read mm. through it all, but Lamentations chapter three, you can start from verse one and go all the way down to uh, to about verse 18, 19, 20, and then you're going to see a change. But let me just read some of those verses. You know, so in verse 15, he says, he, referring to God, he, God has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. That right there, that is classic mm. depression symptoms, mm -hmm. classic depression symptoms. And then verse 19, he says, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. But then he says this, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. And this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great mm. is thy faithfulness. And that's where we get that song. What, what, what did it for Jeremiah? Because in Jeremiah's case, it wasn't sin and it wasn't, because he was the most righteous man in the world either. It was because he was seeing a, a city being torn down, a temple being torn down, mm -hmm. people being taken away, um, that the fact that he has been a prophet for all these years, no one has repented, all that coming together and just welling up in grief. And I would say this is righteous grief. I, I don't think he's sinful in having this kind of grief, but he's able to pull himself out of it by rem reminding himself of the truth of God. That even in in spite of the tragedy that he is witnessing, he knows that God's faithfulness never never ceases. That that God will be faithful to do what He has said He will do, and so th that's ultimately what biblical counseling is: is reminding ourselves of of the goodness of God. So just between those three examples we brought up, hmm. um, David, uh, you know, he was depressed because of sin. Um, Job uh, was afflicted because he was actually the most righteous man in the world, and that led him to to feeling depressed. And Jeremiah because he he saw a nation that refused to repent. And then he, he watched the temple being burned down. And there are many other reasons that can come about from this. But we're reminded also, if you were to study the life of Saul, Saul was called by Jesus Christ and was, and was told um, that he is going to be an apostle to me to the Gentiles, for I must show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Paul was called with the purpose to be able to discover experientially how much he's going to suffer for the sake of Christ. Um, yeah. So, yeah, theology of suffering r reminds us that God has a purpose, a good purpose in that suffering. And when we understand it, we can actually 
and this is the complexity of, of just us being creating the image of God, we, we can actually find joy and peace even while we experience the, the sorrow and the grief. Yeah, I, that's a good point. God never promises us happiness. He promises us joy. And those two things are uh, not the same, right? Western Christianity wants you to be happy. God wants you to be joyful. And you can be joyful in the midst of sorrow, as Paul makes that very clear. I mean, it's interesting, you know, three times Paul goes to God in prayer uh, to get rid of something, right? We we don't know what it is exactly, but God's response is what? Well, my grace is sufficient. You're going to live with this thing, Paul, for the rest of your life. And you're going to have to trust me in the midst of it. Um, and so it might be that it's God's plan uh, that you're a melancholy person. Um, there is no reason to believe that that wasn't true for Charles Spurgeon. We don't have to like it, but it doesn't really matter what we like. Um, it, read Spurgeon's own testimony of how God was glorified um, in his depressive disposition over and over and over again, you see that. I mean, you read, um, you read the book of, uh, his wife, his wife's writings. And, um, I mean, just in her, was it her autobiography? Uh, it's incredible. She even speaks to it and speaks to the fact that God was glorified in the midst mm-hmm. of Spurgeon's sorrows. Um, and, and so, yeah, we shouldn't, our first response should be really, how is God glorified in my depression? Not yeah. how can I get rid of it as quickly as possible? That's a very self-centered Western mindset, to be honest. And it is probably just some inherent sinfulness in that, right? Yeah. The fact that our heart um, doesn't say, Lord, how can I glorify you in this? It says, how can I get rid of this? Right. Um, you know, is, is self-centered just in, in itself. But yeah, I mean, some of the things Spurgeon taught him, I've got him pulled up here because I just, I, I was actually, I knew he preached several times on the subject. I didn't know it was quite as many as it is, but listen to some of these titles. Uh, the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health with the exception of sickness. What? <laughs> I, that's very interesting. Well, just one paragraph in this. This, this, he, uh, this is in the minister in these times. Um, You can get it from Banner of Truth, but listen to Spurgeon, just one paragraph. He says, health is set before us as if it were the great thing to be desired above all other things. Is this so? I would venture to say the greatest blessing that God can give to any of us is health, with the exception of sickness. Sickness has frequently been of far more use to the saints of God than health Mm. has. Mm. If some men that I know of could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, it would, by God's grace, mellow wow. them marvelously. Wow. I mean, that's quite the statement. And of course, yeah. we just got through talking about those three examples. Um, what a powerful statement. And so I think, you know, we really do need a renewed um, understanding of uh, and, and a good, healthy doctrine of suffering. We're there's a reason that we've been referred to God's people as the suffering saints throughout time, right? We know they're going to be hardships. We know they're going to and we know they're going to be difficulties. We know they're going to be sorrows, and our aim never should be just to get out of them as quickly as possible. And understand, I say this somewhat as a hypocrite because I don't like to suffer either. Right. Um, but but we should get to the place where um, you know in our sanctification we at least 
think and pursue, okay, well, Lord, I know this is in your sovereign plan. I don't have to understand it, but how do I glorify you in it? Right. Because here's a reality. Um, if you're depressed, um, you know, just kind of wallowing in shame in your living room and you push past that and you go worship on Sunday morning because you know God is worthy to be worshiped, God's then been glorified in your depression. Um, no one else has to see that. No one else has to know that. Um, and when you do those things, right, th- that's part of even our sanctification process, uh, because you have set your own emotions, feelings, uh, difficulties aside for the sake of worshiping God. And those are good things, and those are things that we should do. Amen. And I'm reminded that there was a, a dear saint uh, back at the church I came from, Grace Community Church, who uh, recently passed away. Her name is uh, Sandra. She was uh, one of the receptionists at Grace Church, uh, a dear sweet lady. But I also know that she had a lot of uh, physical issues, um, had a lot of struggles uh, throughout her life. But one of the amazing testimonies from her life is that if you didn't know, if you just if you just didn't happen to know about any of the variety of physical issues you battled with, you would never know it from interacting mm-hmm. with her um, because because uh, she always radiated the joy of the Lord. She was always so gracious and kind and uh, and, and just um, you, you just saw joy in her no matter what it was that she was going through. And, and we want that to be the um, testimony for us. As you're reading um, just from Charles Spurgeon, I couldn't help but to think that Paul had to have been his example, Jesus Christ mm. and Paul. You know, you brought up the thorn in the flesh of Paul. Let me let me just read a little bit more of that because Paul describes that thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan to torment. I mean, think about that word for a minute, mm. torment. Mm. Now think about the Apostle Paul, because we're not talking about we're not talking about a, a marshmallow man. This this is he's no softy, all right. I mean, he's been through quite a bit, and and he listed, you know shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He had left for death. Uh, you know, he's been beaten in prison. All that kinds of stuff. He, he's been through just about everything you can imagine, and and he describes this thorn, whatever it is, as a messenger of Satan to torment me. But he recognizes God had a had had a even deeper and, and uh, the ultimate purpose of God was to keep him from exalting himself. But he says that concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And and there are many who believe that those three times is not just bringing it up three times, but it's like three long seasons of just bringing it before the Lord, asking the Lord to take it away from him. And if you think about this is the Apostle Paul, this is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one that has started so many churches. He's been going back, Mm -hmm. revisiting churches, strengthening them. He, He has such a big and important ministry. You would think if there's someone who deserves to have that thorn removed from him, it would be the Apostle Paul. But the response from Jesus Christ is a shocking one when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm -hmm. So despite Mm -hmm. these long seasons of prayer and despite being tormented, and we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, so we know that this is not, not a result of sin in his life, right? But Jesus Christ gives him that lesson that my grace is sufficient for you. So even though you're feeling the torment, the grace that Jesus Christ himself has provided is sufficient. And he gives the reason. He says, for power is perfected in weakness. Mm-hmm. And then Paul's response to this is very important because upon hearing that, that's all the counseling that he needs. His response to it is, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so mm-hmm. that the power of Christ may dwell mm-hmm. in me. And so, Paul, and and this is very important because Paul elsewhere in the book of Philippians says that I've learned the secret to contentment because depression is a lack of contentment. 
Paul has learned the secret of contentment, and I think we see it um, being explained in more detail right here in 2 Corinthians when he yeah. learns that the sufficiency of Jesus Christ um, is it will cover even the torment that that he's experiencing. And, and just one more, and then I'll hand it back over to you, but Psalm 23, very well-known psalm, often recited at uh, memorial services and funerals. Uh, psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, meaning I shall not lack in anything. <clears throat> but in verse Three, um, David writes that he he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now that by itself, uh, we get that. Uh, you know, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be following Him on paths of righteousness. Uh, not only is Jesus Christ our righteousness, not only is He righteous, um, but He also a part of discipleship is, is teaching us to observe all that He has commanded us. So we get that. But then in verse four it says, even. Though, and, and it probably should be better translated as even when I walk through the, the, the valleys of the shadow of death or, or the valleys of deep darkness. And, and people fail to connect verse 4 with verse 3. The paths of righteousness that we are being led upon sometimes leads us into those deep valleys of, of, of deep shadow um, where David has to say, you know what? Even then, I fear no evil because you are with me. And so for us, we have to re recognize that following Jesus Christ often leads us to places that, you know what, we wouldn't choose to go there on our own. But God has a perfect purpose, because we know in Romans 8, 29, that he predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. And what made Jesus Christ who he was? Well, you cannot escape the fact that he suffered. Mm -hmm. he, he suffered for doing what is right all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Christ's suffering, uh, yeah, uh, another quote from Spurgeon. He says, Mark then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross not so that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. Um, and, and again, you know, we forget the sufferings that Christ went through, even the mental anguish. Right again. Go back to and read. You know, at the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean that that's anguish. Like I mean, I think hardly we ever yeah. experience. I mean, yeah. the burdens, knowing that the burdens of the sin of of the world are are you're going to shoulder and and pay for, um, is quite a thing. You know, going back to Paul and just to reiterate the fact that God left him to suffer that torment and and. And said that you persevere by his grace, right? I mean, you mentioned what Paul went through. Let me just read some of that. Lest anyone, um, I, I, part of the problem is sometimes you're talking about depression, people just kind of get into this pity party, right? And I don't mean to be insensitive, uh, but let me give you some perspective. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul. L listen to this. This is from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Let me just stop there. Um, so often they use something called the cat of nine tails. It had shards of glass, broken metal, pottery pieces, whatever they could tie to it. This is common, right, in Roman history. And so with every lash, flesh would have been ripped off of him. It's graphic, and I'm sorry about that, but understand what it means when he says five times He's received 39 lashes. That's one less than Christ, by the way. He goes on to say, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. 
And I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure apart from such external things. So if his life wasn't difficult enough already from these outwardly things, he says, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's mental anguish. Yeah. Who is weak without being my weak? Uh, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? And he goes on to say, if I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. Right. And so if you thought your life was bad, um, just consider Paul, just consider Job. And and again, it's not to diminish the reality of depression. It's there, Um, but it's there. It is there for God's glory. Yes. And as Christians, we have to acknowledge that we have to embrace that. um, And we have to seek God in the midst of that, knowing that just like Paul, that his grace is sufficient for you. You know, so stop seeking the easy way out. In fact, I, you know, I think once you understand this and you have the information, it's really then sinful to try to take the easy way out because getting, and I'll just say this, I mean, trying to take medication so you don't have to deal with it. And so, and, and in a way that would prevent God from getting glory is sinful. Um, it, it just is. You don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with it, but it's true nonetheless. And I, but I think, right, if our hearts are right, we look at these examples in Scripture. We see Scripture over and over says that it's sufficient. Um, we see that in uh, working in Saul. We see that in Paul. We see that in David. We see that in Job. We see that in Jeremiah um, over and over again. And I mean, you know, if you don't have uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, then get that and read it. Um, it, You know, you see uh, God's suffering servants all throughout history, and God repeatedly, in one way or another, says, my grace is sufficient for you. And so, it's no different in our day, right? Um, And so, if you're experiencing, you know, depression, rather seek the Lord in the midst of that, then go to the world who hates God, because yeah. the, God will God will get His glory, um, but you'll be no help to bring in glory to the name of Christ if you're going to a world that hates Him uh, for the solutions that God gives us. Because sometimes the solution is you live a life of depression, and God gets His glory from that. Yeah. Yeah, let me read for you just a couple of verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. This is a favorite of mine. Uh, Paul writes this, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. And that word granted, this is important. This is not the typical verb for just to, to, to give. Um, this is charizomai. Um, comes from the same uh, root as the uh, Greek word charis, which is what we use for grace. So, th- this verb charizomai, it's basically the word grace turned into a verb. So, in other words, it has been given to you by grace for Christ's sake. Now, when we think about what's been given to us um, uh, for the sake of Christ by grace, what's been given to us by grace, we immediately think about our faith or our salvation. But he goes on to clarify this. Once again, for to you, it has been given by grace for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, 
but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. And then later on in that uh, letter, it's in chapter four, where he talks about, I've learned the secret to, to being content. Um, but also in First Peter chapter five, in First Peter chapter five, we, we have Peter uh, recognizing, acknowledging that uh, the audience is going through difficult uh, trials. And in chapter five, verse six, he says this, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And so, this is saying that you're going to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, recognizing that any trials that we go through is ultimately because of the mighty hand of God, and that we are trusting God to exalt us, meaning to lift us up out of that. Um, obviously, we'll be exalted when we're up in heaven, but there's an exaltation and maybe a deliverance from the trial itself that God is going to be the one that has already foreordained when that's going to be, and we just have to trust him uh, for that. So, theology of suffering recognizes that we are being made more like Christ through the suffering. In fact, uh, that just brings to mind James uh, James chapter 1, right in the start of the book of James. He says, Consider it all joy, brethren, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the mm -hmm. testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, we understand that these trials uh, are for God's purpose in order to make us more like Christ. And, and here's the thing. If I were to define what depression was, and maybe I should have done this at the outset, but really, I, I tell you what, depression is really our response to unwanted circumstances. Yeah. yeah, that's really what it is. It's our response to unwanted circumstances. Now, there's a lot of potential root causes for that. We've talked about mm -hmm. that. It could be it could be sin. It could be just simply God's will. It could be sin that's in the world. Maybe not your sin, mm -hmm. but a result of other people's sin. It could just be the, the fact that we're we're living in a temporal life, and God just wants us to remind us to to depend upon Him, which is often the case as well. So there are many potential reasons why something could be brought upon us, but we want to be able to go to the Lord, the one who actually made our mind and provided us with all that we need for life and godliness through the scriptures, which is God's word. Yeah. Amen, brother. And I, I think, you know, there are other places you can go to Matthew six, right? Um, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And he, and he goes on, right? And the point is uh, not to be anxious about those things in your life, but trusting in the sovereignty of God, right? Everything is held together by God. Um, I, I mean, the very atoms that you know, make up and hold together the universe are, are actively being held together by God. It, it, that's the God, that's the power of God that's directed towards us as believers in Christ. And if God, since God holds the universe together, I mean, he's named every star, he's named every hair on your head. Um, is that not a God we should very quickly come to when we're having difficulties and um, whatever his response may be, um, whether it's to deliver us from, you know, that, that depression, uh, whether we, like Spurgeon, live a life in that, um, whatever the answer may be, it's 
may God be glorified in the midst of it and that be our pursuit. Um, I I wouldn't use Paul's prayer as a formula to say, pray three times and then uh, stop praying. But I think the point is, you know, if, if you've come to the conclusion that uh, there's no known sin in your life um, and and you can do this, if you're honest enough, right. You can do these things. If you're watching week and you're, you're depressed, you need to repent of that. Um, If you're, you know, cheating on your taxes and you have anxiety about it during tax season every year, you know, you'll know, um, walk through with your pastor and elders in your church. Uh, if there's sin you need to repent of in your life, and maybe the depression is coming from that. But, it, you know, if you've done those things and the conclusion is, well, there's no known sin in my life. Well, then maybe it's just God's good design yeah. that in his grace and in your weakness, um, you see his strength and he's glorified. And rather than go to the world and medicate yourself so that in all honesty, you're no good for God's kingdom. um, Because oftentimes these things dull the senses, they dull the mind, they slow the ability to reason and think these medications that you're given rather than go that route. Then like Paul, find God's grace, uh, find that it's sufficient and persevere through that. Um, and let God be strong in your weakness. Amen. And uh, I'm I'm thinking of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. We read this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, Mm -hmm. but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter what it is that's causing the depression, I will say this for absolute sure. Um, it is for God's glory, but it is also for our good to teach us to depend upon him, no matter what those circumstances are. And, and there are so many other, you, you know, we just mentioned a handful of, um, of biblical examples, but you can go to um, Ezekiel, uh, not Ezekiel, Elijah, uh, when he's running away mm-hmm. from Jezebel, that's in First Kings chapter 19. The prior chapter, he had just stared down 450 prophets of Baal in the very next chapter, he's running for his dear life. Um, he wants to just die in the wilderness. And then when he stands before God, he says, I'm the only one that's been zealous for you. They want to kill me and all that. And, and finally, what cures him of his anxiety is to be reminded that God is in total mm-hmm. control. He's in total, total control over who's king of Israel. He's in total control of who's king over Gentile nations like Syria. He's in total control of even Elijah's own ministry. Who's going to replace him? And all these people who are in positions of power, God is sovereign over who's going to replace them and when they're going to die and how they're going to die and who's going to be the one to kill them. So God is completely sovereign. And I think of also uh, Jonah, the prophet Jonah in the final chapter, he's upset at God. And in his case, he's upset because in God's grace and goodness, he actually saved the Ninevites. So that would be a Mm -hmm. a sinful reaction from the prophet Jonah because of God's goodness against people that he didn't want to Mm -hmm. see uh, get get rescued. So there are lots of examples. Nebuchadnezzar is another one. He was turned into a wild animal. And and can you imagine if that happened today, he became like a wild beast grazing from the field. And I I don't, I don't, I, you know, he, he had hair, he, he had a lot of hair on his body and his nails were growing long and all that. And I can't imagine if he went through counseling today, what the prognosis would be, but it wouldn't be sin. And in essence, in his case, he was not giving glory to God for the goodness that was given to him. So again, we can come up with example after example after example, and it all comes down to this. Um, We need to know God. We need to trust God. We need to follow God. and, And we need to trust in his purposes that everything is for his glory and our good. 
Yeah. Amen, brother. Well, we'll end on that note and uh, I'll leave you one since we've spoken about Spurgeon as I think not only was he the, was he the prince of preachers, but maybe also the preacher of sorrow. Um, he said the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. And so depression is real. Anxiety is real. Sometimes it's your own sin. Uh, sometimes it's nothing more than, uh, like Job, I have no doubt God still does that in our righteousness. He, uh, is glorified in those troubles or like Paul, he just wants it to be known that his grace is sufficient. So whatever it is, look to God, not to the world, look to the word of God for peace and comfort, look to the promises of scripture and whatever God's answer may be. And he doesn't speak to us audibly. Um, sometimes we just know the answer by way of what doesn't happen. Um, but we continually look to God and, you know, let our hearts always be asking how can God get glory in my life through this and not just seek the very Western easy way out. God's not glorified if you're doped up on drugs and you can't function. Um, God's glorified if in your depression you persevere and you function despite the difficulty. Um, Christ suffered, and so we're going to suffer too. We live in a fallen world, and so we need a good theology of suffering. Amen. So. I hope that this was uh, beneficial for you guys. Um, by the way, we don't do this very often, but if you're listening to us on Apple or Android, uh, we, we've got, I don't know, maybe four or five, 600 of you guys that listen. We really appreciate that. But we'd love to get a few reviews. Uh, we, we don't have many of those. Um, so please do rate us uh, on, on your Apple or your Android. Feel free to send us an email. Uh, we're always looking for what kind of content would be beneficial and helpful, um, doctrinal, theological, or otherwise, you can send that to truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll answer those things. So, hope that this has been helpful. Um, seek Christ, go to the Word and not the world. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known Podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known Podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.